Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. From the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, what will you at this will you at this time restore, restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, you've been sitting for a while. Your circulatory system needs a refresher. Why don't we jump up and greet each other? And while we're doing that, kids can be dismissed to care. We've got Elevate and we have KR. We don't have EGC today. Am I right? Somebody correct me. Am I right? Yes, right. Ah, you, the teacher's sitting in here, so yes, there is no Elevate today. If you want to be really wild and crazy, don't sit back down where you are sitting now, just for fun, because just mix it up. Sorry we didn't get to hang out more at the men's retreat. I'm, I'm unmuted. Sorry. Good morning, kid. Okay. All right. You've got your coffee. You've unloaded your children. I know. It's all over. Let's just pray and we'll dismiss. You guys... We'll get to lunch. Good. If you're new or visiting with us, I hope that was super awkward for you, um, in a good way, because we like to keep it weird here at Refuge. So good morning. Uh, today we are continuing on in our I Believe series, looking at the Apostles' Creed. And we get a lot of questions about the Creed, especially when we make a sermon series out of it. Base the sermon series on it. Is the creed scripture? No. Uh, is it as important as scripture? No. Is it worth looking at, committing to memory even? Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about it in the youth group too and the way that we talk about it. My name is Jeremy, I'm one of the elders. Sorry, hi. It's nice to meet you. Um, the, way we, the way we talk about it is we, we kind of describe it as memorizing chapter headings of your favorite book. 
Uh, it's a quick shorthand to the bigger story of God's revelation to his people, the story about who God is, and, and a big chunk of it centers on the person and work of Jesus, who he is. And that's because a lot of these early creeds were formed and, uh, and distributed to the church for memory, for honoring, because the person and work of Jesus was hotly debated in the early church. And so, especially as generations wore on and the story sometimes ran into obstacles, they had to bring clarity. They had to bring uh, refinement to who Jesus is, what he's done, and what, what's super important about him. And so most of the creed, you'll, you'll notice, we've been spending the last, like, I don't know how many weeks on the Jesus part, right? It's, it's like this big. And then we get to, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And that's it. Like one, just one little... And Trey thought it would be cute to have the former Pentecostal guy preach on, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. So this morning we'll be talking for 58 minutes on speaking in tongues. Uh, you're welcome. Right? You can make your thank you letters out to Trey. Um, send him an email at pastor at Seek Refuge. Thanks for that. That was a great. Uh, so anyway, that's where we're at. We're looking at, I believe, in the Holy Spirit today. And uh, the first thing we have to acknowledge about the text this morning that Wendy read is that it's super weird. Uh, if you, who, who's ever read that passage in Acts before? Just quick, maybe. All you people who said I read through the Bible in a year, you've read it at least one time. So I know, I know some of you have. It's a super weird passage of scripture. Um, context in this case is so important that we actually have to go figure out what the context is first. I walked in to my 13-year-old uh, sitting on the couch, fully engrossed in uh, some weird anime movie. Does anybody watch anime? I don't watch anime. Um, so I walk in from work, and I plop down, and I'm watching the end of this movie, and it's like the last 15 minutes of this movie, maybe the last 10, and there's all kinds of bizarro, weird, wackadoo stuff happening. Like, there's, there's half of a house walking on mechanical legs across the hills. There's, uh, oh, some of you nerds know what it is, yes. <laughs> And I, I say nerds, I say nerds with love because I am and have reproduced many nerds. And so um, I, nothing but love for you when I call you nerds, but you know what I'm talking about. So there's like a house walking around on mechanical legs with some very bizarre looking woman in there. I don't know what's up with that. Uh, there's a girl who has a ring that's like spitting out rays of light and it leads her to a hole in a mountain and she goes and it's a door and she goes in and she sees like somebody eating a fireball or something correct me if i'm wrong right like this it's super weird and then she has like a one-legged bird friend who looks very sad i don't i didn't understand any of it but my daughter is sitting on the couch fully engrossed in this like it's really meaningful to her and, and I'm, I'm trying so hard to figure out what the meaning is. I've like all, all kinds of weird references running through my head. I have no idea what's happening. Lost, totally lost. That you are in the shoes of a 43-year-old man watching his daughter see the last 10 minutes of an anime movie when you step into X without the context. So the context is super, super important because we've got weird stuff going on. First of all, there's a holiday called Pentecost, whatever that is. There's wind. There's fire. People are speaking in languages fluently that they should not be speaking in fluently because they don't know them. Um, it's super weird. So we have to back up. So what we're going to do is we're going we're to kind of break it down a little bit. We're going to jump back actually into the Old Testament because the first thing we're going to talk about is that the word Pentecost just means 50th, and it's the marking of from like one holiday to another over a season of time. And Pentecost... The, the Hebrew celebration that that's representing is uh, Shavuot. Is, are there any Hebrew scholars to correct me if I'm wrong? Cool, you guys don't know. The word is Shavuot, I think, uh, and it, it's actually commemorating, or Shavuot, but it's, it's commemorating the giving of the law at Mount Sinai from God to his people. It's commemorating this, this momentous day where the children of Israel have been brought out of slavery and they're at the foot of this mountain. And God is present in force, and he's, making a, he's trying to make a covenant with his people. And so it's super interesting. So we're going to go look at Exodus 19. So, Exodus 19, uh, here's, here's where we find ourselves. 
While Moses went up to God, he's going up the mountain, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, that's the children of Israel, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. What is this and what does Acts 2 have to do with the person and work ministry of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is? To get to know somebody, one of the most effective ways to get to know somebody is to observe them and to see who they are, what they do, what they like, what they don't like, what their mission in life is, what their passion is about. And so we are right here smack dab in the middle of God in presence in full force on Mount Sinai. The words that God uses here and that he's giving to Moses to tell his people, he's setting the stage. He's saying, I, you're gonna, I want you to be my treasured possession. I want you to be, because remember that all the earth is mine, and I want you to be to me a kingdom of priests, uh, a holy nation, a royal priesthood to me. And what it meant to be a priest was to, to serve in the presence of God, to serve God, to have a nearness and relationship, a proximity to him, to devote yourself to service to him and to the service of his people, to stand, as it were, between God and people that need love and care and are coming to him. And so this actually goes, this echoes all the way back into Genesis. This goes all the way back. The first time we see the person of the Holy Spirit, we see him back in Genesis 1. He, he appears in verse 2 of that account. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. That word spirit in Hebrew, the word that's translated spirit, is the word ruach. You have to like clear your throat or hakalugi when you say it, respectfully. But the word ruach is another word for wind um, or uh, breath. And so in the biblical imagination, in the Hebrew mind, the word ruach and the word spirit, this was a way of talking about it. It isn't to say that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force that just blows around and, and does whatever. It, it, he is a person with volition, with intention, with purpose, and is a full-fledged member of our triune Godhead. He is one with the Father and the Son in authority and power and wisdom and grace and mercy and beauty, all of these things. And so we've, we see the Spirit right there at the beginning of creation. And the Spirit's there, and he's got a close, intimate relationship with what's going on with the creation and the formation of the world. If you remember back to Trey's sermon um, on, thinking all the way, but we're, this is weeks ago, so you, I'm sure you guys all remember this like it was yesterday. But Trey uh, brought out uh, some, some scholarly thinking that actually the way Genesis 1 is formatted, it's not a science textbook, but the way it's formatted is, is very similar to an ancient temple text. The way, that, the way that it moves and the way that it flows has, has God ordering the cosmos as a temple for him to dwell in, and he creates humanity and sets them up as his image bearers, as his priests, as it were, to have a close, near relationship, an intimate relationship with him, and to bring beauty and goodness into his created world in all of these amazing ways. And so the Holy Spirit is right there. That's his, that's his heart. That's where he is. He's intimately involved in this process. And the story goes, and you know how it goes, we've heard it already this morning, that we say it every week, that mankind chose to go their own way. They chose to take authority for themselves or tried to take authority for themselves and, and depart from God's command. And so they were exiled from the garden, this place that God had set up to be this idyllic um, sort of base camp for the work that was going to spread out into the world of bringing beauty to the earth through God's good good work and his will and so they forfeit all that our first parents forfeit all of it walk away and their children become increasingly self-centered increasingly hostile to one another increasingly hateful increasingly violent and that's a cycle that just keeps going on and on and on and on and on and it culminates in this civilization this city called Babel uh, or Babel, or whatever, I don't know, whatever the right Hebrew word is to pronounce, I, Babel, we're going to call it Babel, because it sounds, you, you'll get it. So, Tower of Babel, who's ever heard that story, anybody? 
Yes, maybe, no. Some people are nodding, some people are did this. I'll take anything at this point, guys. <laughs> Whatever you got is fine. Yeah, so the, it's the, the rebellion of mankind sort of culminates in this power structure of a city and a tower that these people are building. Mankind's united, they have one language, they're all on the same page. They're all together, they're all ready to go, they're on mission, whatever that is, but except that the, the problem is their goal is not a good goal. Their goal is self-glorification. It is rejection of God's wisdom. It is violent, it is hateful, it is wrong, it is awful. And they are building power structures to this. They are building a tower, literally a tower, to build, to, to talk and display about their greatness in the world and what they want to do and what they want the world to be apart from God's good design. And so God comes down and says they're united and he knows that this isn't going to go well. And so he divides their languages. And right there at the Tower of Babel, this is what the Bible tells us, is that God confounded the languages of the people that were there. And so they couldn't continue to build this great project that they were working on. It was so far removed from what God had wanted his world to be. So far removed from what he had made his image bearers to do in the world. It was the polar opposite of it. And so he divides them by language and they go and they're scattered. And they're just scattered abroad and the Babel project as it was, not the Bible project, if anybody knows the Bible, it's the Babel project. The Babel project, there's a play there somewhere. Somebody should send them an email about that. Um, I'm not going to do it. But the, this, this project of Babel is, is over. God divides their languages and sends them on their way. He calls out a man named Abram, and that man is going to be the father of a new nation. And God is going to make a covenant with Abraham, and his family is going to be designated as the people who will pick up this mantle of being image bearers of God in the world, and from the family of Abraham, God is going to bless every nation. He wants to reestablish that pattern of his good design, of his will, his wisdom, ruling and reigning, people fully in sync with that, taking the overflow of God's goodness and bringing it out to the nations, bringing it out to the world and letting that spread. And God's Holy Spirit is right there, and he is ready and willing and able and fully on board with moving this project forward, this way of living. And so that's where we're at. So we, they, God's people, generations after Abraham, so we've got Abraham, we've got Isaac, we've got Jacob, Jacob's kids, it's a mess. Just go read it, it's a mess. They get taken into slavery for 400 years in Egypt. God mightily delivers them from all of the gods of Egypt, pulls them out through the desert and brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And that's where we are. So we did a flashback within a flashback, and we all know how much fun that is in a movie. But there you go. That's how we got to where we are now. Um, I hate that. I hate flashbacks within flashbacks. And then flash sideways and flash forwards again. I can't think of a movie recently that's done that, but it's pretty terrible. So um, we're going to pick it back up in Exodus 16 through 19. So uh, God is here, and the people are here. And the, uh, God's instruction was, have the people consecrate themselves. You go down, Moses, and you get them ready. And when it's time, they're going to come up to the foot of the mountain. And when the trumpet blows, then they can come up to the mountain. Not before then, but when the trumpet blows, they can come up to the mountain. But this is what they're met with. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast coming from heaven, presumably so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out, out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Holy smokes? That's not, that's not the right. I was, that just occurred to me, that wasn't planned actually. I'm really sorry. I try not to say things that... Anyway. Uh, so, um, remember, Ruach, the, the biblical imagination of what the Spirit of God's presence is like, what his power is like, how he does things, that every creature in the world is actually moved and animated by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit, the animating power of the Holy Spirit. And so when they see this sight, when they... 
all of their senses are completely overloaded and they see a cloud and they see thunder and they see lightning. In, in biblical terms, in the Hebrew scriptures, when we see cloud or we see smoke, try to put yourself in an ancient thinker's shoes, how would you describe visibly seeing the movement of an air mass with your eyes? The power of air with your eyes, the power of the wind with your eyes, what you would see is first of all, you would see things affected if there was anything to be affected, trees blowing in the wind, people's hats blowing off, papers flying around. But if there was nothing to be externally affected, the only visible way to see it would be smoke or a cloud. And so if you had to pick a category to describe what you're seeing, you're going to describe it as a smoke, as smoke or a cloud. And so here comes, here's the Spirit of God represented on the mountain in full force, in cloud, in fire, in smoke. God's presence is there, it's tangible, it's in their face, and they are freaking out, like really hardcore freaking out. So um, before you get all judgy about this, actually, because we're going to be like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, so they, they'd just been pulled out of Egypt. They saw all the things God did. They saw all of that. Sky darkened. They saw the frogs. They saw the locusts. They saw the firstborn fall. They saw all of that. And God's, God's owning the gods of Egypt and brings them to the foot of the mountain and shows him his presence in full force. And they freak out. So we're at the men's retreat, right? Before you get all snobby about it and like thinking, trying to figure out what's the, what's the modern analog to that. We're at the men's retreat and uh, who went to the men's retreat? You guys, yes? If you didn't go, we missed you. It was a fun time. Sitting around the fire, eating cobblers, uh, pipes, little beer, having a great time. Everybody's just talking, chatting. And somebody says, beautiful night, beautiful clear night. Somebody says, look up. And a bunch of us do. And we look up. And what do we see? We see a perfectly straight line of very bright lights in the sky. And they're flying straight overhead. And some of us, quietly and some not so quietly, kind of lost the crap a little bit. Because we freak, can you say, you can't say crap in a sermon. We'll edit that out later. This isn't live on YouTube, sorry. So we, we see this thing, right? And everybody's just processing for a second. And then people start to wonder out loud, is it meteors? Maybe it's, well, maybe it's satellites. I don't know. It, well, meteors wouldn't fly like that. That's a, but that's a straight line. And then they just summarily disappear on the horizon. And everybody's just left wondering, like, should we get in the cars and go home? Like, should anybody be calling the National Guard or the President of the United States to notify him that we're being invaded by aliens or no? And then some guys get on their phone and they figure out this stupid Starlink satellite array that's flying by, right? So we, I, stupid, I'm sure it's great. But it was just a brief taste, but people freaked out a little bit. And I mean, I, I found myself wondering, I'm like, oh, Alien life. Hadn't thought about that in a while, but, you know, uh, sure. So it's just one of those moments, and we've all had kind of those moments where you're like, you see something, but you're trying to process it, and you don't really know what to do with it, and you're overwhelmed by it, and like everything else in your life right now is not nearly as important as this weird thing that's happening right now, because you're trying to figure it out. And so God's people are at the foot of the mountain, and what God is trying to do in, in full strength, he is displaying his power to love and protect and govern them well and wisely. And that no other God stands a chance against this God. Not even, not even a remote chance against this God. And God's people are called to the foot of the mountain and Moses says, okay, the trumpet, and the trumpet's getting louder and louder and louder and I'm sure that freaked people out additionally. And they, they had categories for this. Again, we see God's spirit present, but their minds, when they see smoke and they see fire and they, they see all of this associated with God's presence, their mind probably would have gone back, at least some of them, to the covenant that God made with Abraham, where this, this weird scene where God has Abraham part animals and then there's like a path and Abraham falls into a deep sleep and there's this smoke and the fire that goes between them and it's God forming his covenant with Abraham. This is that covenant promise that you're going to be you're going to be the father of a great nation. This nation is going to go out into the world and they're going to bring my truth and my beauty and my words to the nations. They are going to be a blessing to everyone. And God is here again at the foot of Sinai calling the children of Israel 
into this relationship with him. It's like a, it's like a wedding. The, the, the festival of Shavuot uh, came to be associated with marriage, the marriage of God to his people. This was, in, in their imagination, this was seen as a wedding ceremony. This was a covenant ceremony. But imagine a wedding where <laughs> everybody's all decked out, everybody shows up, and the bride's up there, or, or the, the groom's up there waiting, and the bride gets to about, like, I don't know, like where she stops with the, the person giving her away, and that's it. Like, she's, she's like, no, I'm, I'm good, actually, I'm, I'm fine. And, and they're like, come on up here, do, do you take this man to be your, no, I'm, I'm good, yes, absolutely, uh-huh, yep, just, yeah. So it's a really awkward marriage ceremony <laughs> between God and his people. Um, but God is patient, and the people won't come up to him for fear, and so he goes to them in the form of a tabernacle. He, he gives orders for a place to be made, a tent of meeting, for his presence to come and to be and to live among the people, where they can come to him, and they can, he pulls into order the descendants of uh, Levi to be the priests, that he would be, that these people of, of Aaron's family would be the ones to come and serve as priests, to serve God and to serve his people. And so, this is, this is where we are. The Spirit is working and moving, and every time uh, a move is made to get closer to that original mission of God dwelling among his people, because this is the thing. The Spirit's goal from the very beginning has been to have a hand in, to design, to architect, and to make a place for God and his people to dwell together. That's what it was from creation. That was his involvement there. That's what was going on in the covenant with Abraham. That was going on at Sinai. That's what's going on in the formation of the tabernacle, this tent of meeting. The Holy Spirit blesses and shows his presence in the form of smoke and of fire on the tent of meeting. And he leads them day by day in this form. Smoke, pillar of cloud, and fire. And he does this faithfully, and he's patient with his people, and he loves his people. And he is working hard to rebuild this relationship between God and man to be this close relationship of fellowship with each other. And, and he does it again when we get to the dedication of the temple. We have the same thing. The cloud of God's glory is there. It's so strong that the priests can't even get into it at one point, And they can't even stand to serve. They have to fall down. And fire consumes the sacrifice. And so we see it just over and over and over again. And yet, even though God is patient and faithful, and the Holy Spirit is constantly working and moving his people, moving God's people into this relationship and showing up in smoke and wind and fire and cloud and things shaking and visible presence of God here with his people, even though he's patiently enduring all of this, God's people over and over again forfeit that relationship with him because it's hard to have a stone heart. And so, for generations, it happens. The temple eventually falls. God's children go into exile. Tragic. The presence of God lost from among his people. This, this hot spot of God's presence forfeited. The temple's rebuilt, but even then, it's corrupt over and over, over and over again. And, and this is the situation Jesus walks into. But this whole time, the prophets are saying, the Holy Spirit, in addition to pushing hard to do this work with God's people, the Holy Spirit is speaking through the prophets all along. He's saying things like, through the prophet, uh, keep them straight. So through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with this people. Not like the old covenant. I'm going to write my law, instead of on stone tablets, I'm actually going to write my law on their hearts. Ezekiel has a vision of the valley of dry bones. So, yeah, I said, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, hey, do you know, do you, do you have the prophecies of Ezekiel memorized at all? Or? That would be helpful right now. No? It's, it's cool. It's fine. So the prophecy of, of Ezekiel shows, God shows him the spirit of God. The beginning of Ezekiel's prophecy is said to take him to a valley of dry bones. Lots and lots of bones. Lots of dead bodies. Dry. Very dry. Bone dry, in fact. And, and God says, hey, can these bones live? And he's like, Lord, you know, I, I mean, this is, this is crazy. There's a lot of dead bodies. And he's prophesied to the bones. And in this, in this vision, in, this, in Ezekiel's prophecy, he's prophesying to these dead bones. And what he sees is God reconnecting all of the tissues, putting flesh on these things, and bringing them back to life. And, and 
but before they're alive, they just stand there. And he says, prophesy again. And the last piece is that God sends his spirit, his ruach, his breath, into them to bring them back to life. And this is a picture. God's people have been forfeiting this covenant life over and over and over again, and they've committed themselves to death and to destruction. And God's spirit is promising through the prophets that one day, not only am I going to write my law on their hearts, I'm going to take out their heart of stone, I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. Saying one day, the dead will actually raise to life. Those who are spiritually corpses are going to be so brought back together and reformed by the spirit and breath, the breath of life breathed back into them and they will become a living soul again and they will fulfill this. They're going to be my people and I will be their God. The prophecy of Ezekiel actually ends with the statement that my sanctuary will be among them. I'm, I'm going to live among them again. We're going to be together. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. And then Joel prophesies that I'm going to pour out, just God says, I'm, I'm going to pour out my spirit on everybody because up to this point, it had been the priests and the Levites that had these, these special moments of God's presence in their life that had, that had been given the spirit's power to minister before God and to God's people. And the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit on everybody. There's this weird thing that happens uh, in Exodus with Moses, and there are 70 appointed to, be, uh, to, to govern the people, to help, and, and Moses is, some of Moses' spirit, the spirit of God, is going to be poured out on them, and they prophesy. And a couple of them didn't come out, they stayed in the camp, and they still, the spirit still fell on them, and they still prophesied. And Moses' servants were like, what, are you going to make them stop? This is weird, they didn't come out like they were supposed to. And, he, and Moses replies, I wish that all God's people were prophets. I wish that every single person in this nation, in this ragtag nation, that every single person was filled and covered with God's spirit and that they would all be prophets and they would all have that relationship with their heavenly father. And so prophecies over and over and over again, hence over and over and over again. And so into this framework, into this, into this corrupted temple environment, into the valley of dry bones comes Jesus. And Jesus is fully covered and fully supercharged by the Holy Spirit's power from the very beginning. From his conception, we've already seen it in the Creed. We see it, we saw it at Christmas time, like we do every year, that the Holy Spirit is, the, the promise is that the Spirit will overshadow you, Mary, and the child in you will be called holy. So at the very conception, the Holy Spirit is there fully involved again at the creation of the new and better temple. Jesus is going to come on the scene. He is going to do what we say every week. He's going to live the life that we should have lived. He's going to die the death as the perfect sacrifice that we should have died. And he's going to raise again to bring resurrection life to his people. And he's paving this way. And the Holy Spirit all along, as baptism, John says, I saw the heavens open. And I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Wind, air, dove. Get it? So in the form of it. Holy Spirit comes and rests on him. At the outset of his ministry, they hand him a scroll. He goes to his hometown, they hand him a scroll. It's the scroll of Isaiah. It happens to be chapter 61. There weren't any chapters back then. But he opens the scroll. And where he goes to is he said that the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach. Do we have that? I think we have that one, don't we? Saying it like we don't have it. But Luke 4, 17 through 21, this is Jesus reading that, that prophet. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled it, the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up that scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We're not familiar with the context, but when, a, when someone would stand up and read the scroll and then sit down, they would, teachers would sit down to teach. It wouldn't, wasn't like today. And so Jesus began to say, today the scripture's fulfilled in your hearing. And that was hard for people to hear <laughs> because this was a hope that was long dead for them. It's, it's something that they had, it's one of those things that had just been in the back of their hearts, in the back of their minds, that they, everybody secretly had hoped for, but it just so many times fake messiahs had come and gone and they were just they were just wearing out but here he was beginning his ministry fully powered by the holy spirit and he does this he walks through his whole life he does signs and wonders he does miracles he heals he opens the eyes of the blind 
He raises up the dead. He is crucified and resurrected himself. And he has these guys that follow him around from the very beginning, and they're his, they're his, his followers, they're his disciples. And he says to them during the course of his ministry, as he's paving this way, he's saying, look, I, we're having, this is amazing to be together. This is great, you guys. But I'm going to go. And I know that makes you really, really sad. But it's actually to your benefit that I go. Because if I don't go, I can't send the other helper, the other paraclete, the other uh, comforter, counselor to you, the spirit to come and to live and to dwell with you. He's been with you, but he's going to be in you. And he's going to empower you. And so Jesus' disciples are, okay, so first of all, they had shelf space for this. So let's, let's jump back. So before we get too carried away, we're going to jump back to Acts 2. Can we get that one back up on the screen, Mr. Griff? So now that we've got a little bit of context. Okay, context, right? So we know what Pentecost is, kind of. Do you remember? That was a long time ago we talked about that. So Pentecost, uh, we, we know about the Spirit's presence in the wind and the smoke and the fire, right? That this is the blessing of the Holy Spirit's presence in full force with God's people. Uh, we know about the shaking. There's some shaking that goes on in Acts. We've got context for all of this now. And so they had shelf space for all of this. They were expecting something. And here's what Jesus So, Well, let's jump back to the, the verse in 1. So we'll go 1, 6 through 8, because what Jesus says here is, is significant. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Wrong question. Uh, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we hear the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and because we're modern thinkers and we're sensitive folks, we tend to think, oh, what's, what's that going to feel like? What's that going to be like? Like, what will, what will I be thinking? Will I, will I get the warm fuzzies? Will my feet tingle? How will I know that it's not a panic attack? Uh, how will I know? What, what, what's that going to be like? For, the, for these guys, in this context, remember, they're carrying with them the whole testimony of the Old Testament scriptures. All that stuff we just tiptoed right through. Uh, not well, but all that stuff we just tiptoed right through. They've got that whole story in their mind. And so there are people in the scriptures that are said to have been filled with the Holy Spirit or power. The first person in scripture to be filled, to be said to be filled with the Holy Spirit was a guy named Hazalel. You remember Hazalel, right? Everybody knows Hazalel, that guy from, from Sunday school. That dude, right? Well, good old Hazalel. Um, <clears throat> he was said to be the first person to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what he was filled with the Holy Spirit for? He was filled with the Holy Spirit by God to be the chief architect for creative design, for artistry, for craftsmanship. God just poured his supernatural wisdom into this guy, activated all parts of his mind and his heart that maybe otherwise would have lied dormant and supercharged this guy to form the tabernacle. God gave Moses the plan and this guy was gonna be the guy to execute it. And this guy oversaw everybody who worked on the tabernacle. And, and if you were to see this thing, it was one of the most beautiful pieces of artwork that probably you've ever seen, functional art. Curtains, tapestries, gold, all of the jewels, the ways everything was crafted. And, and God just activated Hazalel to come and to lead in this. And to, again, he's participating in the Holy Spirit's work of preparing a place for God and his people. It's amazing. And so uh, other guys, like Joseph. Joseph was said to have the Spirit of God on him, and that was for the purpose of protecting God's people, making a place for them in Egypt, and giving him wisdom to rule as, as, a, as an, an emissary of the Most High over the nation of Egypt, and to bring God's people into safe harbor, and to move the story along. Time after time, anytime you see a prophet filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, covered with the Spirit, the Spirit rushes upon him. It's for something. And so when Jesus' disciples hear this, when it hits their ears, their ears aren't going, their, their minds aren't going, well, how's that going to feel? That'll be really weird. Like, what, what does that mean? Their, their first thought is, for what? What are we going to do? And he answers. He says, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. I think that's what it says. I could be looking at my paper. What's the next slide? Jump over. This is 
Oh, and you will be my witness. I guess we just cut it off right there. But in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, everywhere, you guys are going to go everywhere. And you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to be powered by the Holy Spirit to take my word and be witnesses of me and who I am and who the Spirit is and what God's heart is for you and for the nations. You're going to take that everywhere. And so they were expecting. They weren't hiding out on the day of Pentecost in an upper room. They weren't twiddling their thumbs. They were praying, and they were studying the scriptures to try to figure out what that looked like. Because here it comes, and what are we going to do about it? And here it comes. When the day of Pentecost arrived, the day of the wedding arrived, they were all together, and they were in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on and rested on each of them, not in a pillar, not over a house, not in one solitary place. It calls out the fact that they were divided tongues because now the Spirit is moving from a singular point of presence, from singular function, singular moments, these landmark moments. He's now moving into the lives of God's people. And these, these 12, plus others, quite a few others, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, it's not that God's special presence in the Holy Spirit is not meant just for the Levites anymore. It's not meant just for the prophets anymore. Everybody's going to be in that category. All of God's people, all Jesus' followers are going to be in that category. And so the Spirit comes, and divided tongues of fire fell on them and rested on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I couldn't be a good Pentecostal boy and not have some of that passage memorized. Along with Acts 2.38, by the way. Um, Repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, thank you, thank you. My Sunday school teachers, who will never see this, good job. Um, so, this is what the mission is, this is what they're going to do. And what they do is they start speaking in these weird languages that they have no idea what they are. But the, the story goes that they stumble out into the street. They're so overwhelmed, they're so excited that they just go out, and, and people heard it, like all the people around this part of town heard the sound of the wind. They saw and heard what was going on, they felt it, and they came, and they come, and they see a bunch of guys staggering around in the street, and they look like they're drunk, but they're speaking a foreign language that to them is foreign, but to the hearers, because of this festival of Pentecost, this was one of the few times in the Jewish calendar year that all the males were required to present themselves to God at the temple. And so here they are. They're in Jerusalem. They're, they're together. And there's this, just by coincidence, audience of men from all nations. And they come around and they hear what's happening. And they're like, aren't these guys all country bumpkins? These, these guys are all from, I was going to say a particular location. I'm not going to say it. Aren't, aren't these guys all from the hills? Like these, these guys are from Galilee, right? Like, I mean, that's a fisherman. Wait, how is he speaking my language better than I speak it? He's, he's using proper diction. What, what's happening? And they come and they hear, and how are we hearing them? They're proclaiming the amazing works of God, and I, these, these guys, really? And then some people were like, no, they're, they're so drunk. They're so drunk. Peter's, Peter stands up. This is actually the first in the long tradition of opening a sermon with a joke, which I didn't do. Two peanuts went on the subway, and one was assaulted. There you go. There's your joke. This... Peter stands up in response to all the people saying, these guys, these guys are drunk, they're wasted. He's like, no, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Come on, guys. It's gotta be at least nine o'clock at night for that. No, he stands up and he says, no, 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 this, this isn't that. They're not wasted. What's happening right now, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. When God said, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on everybody. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is going to come and it's gonna empower each and every person whose heart belongs to God, and they are going to spread like wildfire. And so all these people hear it, and so there the Spirit is again. Because what happens? Peter gives this sermon. I love that Trey uh, paints the picture of Peter in the New Testament as the Chris Farley of the Bible. I absolutely love it. I have, I have never heard that before before we started going to refuge, and I've heard him say it a few times, and every time I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and part of the reason I love it is because of Peter's sermon in Acts. What happens after the day of Pentecost, or on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up in the presence of all these people. Thousands of people. Stands around. Gets as loud as he can possibly get. And he gives this sermon 
Chris Farley stands up and gives this super eloquent sermon about the glorious works of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the way of redemption and our guilt and our sin. And he's, he just does it masterfully. And the Holy Spirit is just flowing through this guy. And he uses Peter in this moment. And 3,000 people are converted that day. 3,000 people become followers of Jesus because they're pricked in their heart. This is one of the things Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to do when he came, that he was going to convict the world of sin. He was going to convict the world concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. This was the thing that had been the goal from the tabernacle days. It's because the, the point of the tabernacle, in part was, at, at its heart really, was a place where atonement for sin was made, where righteousness would flow from, God's righteousness would spread throughout the community and throughout the world, and they would be a blessing to the nations, flowing out of the atonement for sin, and that just righteous judgment would be there in the house of God, and that all of that would start with the house of God, and that it would flow out to the nations from there. And Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he's going to do this, but he's going to do it in a way that you'd never even imagined it was possible. And so here he is on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is doing, folks, the exact same thing that he had set out to do from the very beginning. He is convicting the world of sin. They, those 3,000, they converted. The scripture says it because they were pricked to the heart. It was the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin. They see Jesus for who he is. They acknowledge his righteousness. Judgment is cast on the enemy of their soul, on sin, on death, on Satan himself. And these people come to Jesus, and the church grows. And then that, again, it just spreads like wildfire. The Holy Spirit is now, in, instead of being in one place at one time, the Holy Spirit is moving everywhere through God's people. And it's exactly what was promised. And the New Testament writers pick up on all of this stuff based out of, the, out of this. So, so Paul calls believers in 1 Corinthians, he calls them walking temples of the Holy Spirit. Because he, fire, wind, confirmation of the Spirit's presence. It's not in the temple. It's not in the tabernacle. It's in Bob. It's in Janet. Walking temples of the Holy Spirit. Peter later calls uh, God's people, and this, is, this goes right back to God's promise in Exodus. He says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, sound familiar, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's an exact fulfillment of the promise that God made all those, all those years ago. This one we have on the screen for you because it's beautiful, and it sums it all up really, really well. This is Ephesians. This is Paul speaking. Uh, speaking of the church, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles. The Holy Spirit superpowered their witness in the first and early days of the church. And um, Okay, we'll take a quick aside because I think I'm making good time. Um, When we think about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, um, sometimes, and I, I'm saying this coming from a Pentecostal background where the uh, exuberance and the very flashy gifts of the Spirit are seen to be a hot commodity and can actually create weird power structures when used the wrong way in a class system. I, maybe you have no frame of reference for this. But what the early church was doing, how the Holy Spirit was moving through them, how the Holy Spirit moved through the apostles he did that in special and powerful and somewhat unique ways because he proved that these folks were, were superpowered by the Spirit, that they were wit witnesses of Jesus, and the whole church is going to be based on what they have to say about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished on our behalf. And so the early church, the way the Spirit moved through the average person, through Bob and through Janet, was through devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the breaking of bread. This was how the Spirit worked his will through the early church. It was referring back to the teachings of Jesus that we have recorded by the apostles and their teaching. And that's important to keep in mind. But built, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and this, that's what Paul's talking about, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, the author and finisher of our faith, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a what? Holy temple in the Lord, in him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And thanks be to God. What does the Spirit's work look like in our lives today? 
not much different than it looked like back then. Devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoting ourselves to the knowledge of God as revealed to us in Scripture. Devoting ourselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And to the giving of our lives. The stewarding well of our lives in every area that we're gifted to do so. Whether that's going to work Monday through Friday and being an awesome janitor. Or it's flying halfway across the world and fully immersing yourself into a culture and a people that are not your own to bear witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ in the world. Two very opposite ends of the spectrum, but all part of the same family, in that we are moved along by the Spirit to spread the goodwill and work of God in the world, the good news of what Jesus has done, and to share the Spirit's fellowship and his power with the world around us in love and service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for the, the perfect representation of yourself, of, of your love, of your work, of your will, and the personal work of Jesus Christ. And that application, the application of that work to our hearts by the Spirit's power, Father, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve your grace and your mercy in that way. By all rights and purposes, we should be standing at the foot of that trembling mountain with your people long ago because sometimes we're just as cowardly and just as fearful and yet you have kept your promises over and over and over and over again and here today we stand as a privileged people looking back at the work of your son on our behalf and enjoying the rich beautiful fellowship of your holy spirit help us this week and forever to call that to mind to remember He's such a forgotten person in our day-to-day -day lives sometimes. Give us an awareness of his presence, of his work in our life, of how he teaches us and how he leads us in wisdom, how he leads us in love, how he pricks our hearts and empowers our hearts and moves us to flow with your goodwill in the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.